Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of America this time. And I'm pretty excited about today's interview. You know, uh, for many of you that have been listening to us on our Back to Jerusalem podcast, I've been traveling quite a bit during the COVID virus. And uh, well, I mean, in 2020, I was in Wuhan in China during the outbreak when it first kind of kicked off in January of 2020. And since then, have been all over the place. And I've been really fascinated with pastors uh, that have information to give for their bodies during the time of the COVID, how Christians should respond. And that actually initiated my reaching out to the pastor that is today's guest. But he's going to be sharing a little bit about a new book that he has that is going to be released very soon. And I'm pretty excited to ask him uh, how his how his book can be an impact for us at Back to Jerusalem. Pastor Frank, you still there? I am here. Yes, sir. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on the Back to Jerusalem podcast. We're excited to have you and excited to talk about your new book. Well, I'm I'm glad to as well. Just a quick uh, disclaimer here. I am actually not a pastor, uh, not at least in the specific sense of the word. I don't pastor a church, but I guess through my written work and my speaking, I travel and teach and preach. Uh, I'd be a, a shepherd in the general sense. But um, no, I'm excited to talk about the new book uh, because I'm hoping and the publisher is hoping it's going to help a lot of people uh, during our time. And uh, lots of folks are hurting and going through a lot of uh, problems and struggles right now. Yeah, they are. And um, uh, usually I say pastor for different speakers just because I know <laughs> I know there are some people that get offended if I refer to them as their name without the the title of pastor, especially if they they feel like that's their their role. So uh, I'm glad that I guess we can just relax and call you Frank. Hey, I'd love that. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Hey, could you just give a, a, a brief introduction to, to who you are for our audience? Yes, sir. Um, yeah, I've been writing books uh, for quite some time. I've written books with George Barna, Leonard Sweet, Derwin Gray, um, Mary DeMuth. Um, and so I write books that challenge the status quo. Um, and that take a, a fresh look at the Bible and, and uh, the, the scriptures and really try to magnify Jesus Christ and, and look at those things that have been forgotten or neglected. Uh, people can look at my book catalog at frankviola.org. I wrote a, a, a controversial book in 2008 with George Barna called Pagan Christianity. Uh, I've written a book called From Eternity to Here, which is all about God's eternal purpose and grand mission. And I've written a book called Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is my signature work. 
And through that, I also travel and I teach in conferences and preach in churches and so forth. And um, so, yeah, people can go to frankboa.org to just to get more detail on, on what, I'm, what I'm about and what I do. But I've written quite a lot of books. I just mentioned three. And um, I blog and I do a podcast. <laughs> I actually do two podcasts. So, yeah, I'm quite active. Um, and, but I'm really excited about this new book coming out, Hang On, Let Go is the name of it. Uh, because Christians just are, are, are in crisis right now, so many of them either a health crisis, a relational crisis, or a financial crisis. And that's what this book addresses. It's interesting that you brought up uh, George Barna. We had him on our, our podcast a, a couple of months ago, and he blew us away when he was just sharing about the lack of biblical worldview among Christians and the decisions that they're making. And uh, that, I mean, for us, that was just, um, cr yeah, crazy information. I mean, I know that this is your first time on back the Back to Jerusalem podcast, but we are a missions community. We talk about things that have to do with missions, but we cover a wide variety of subjects as well. And one of the things that kind of reached out to me when I was reading through some of your blogs was what you had to say about the coronavirus. And you're right. There have been a lot of people, I know a lot probably listening to this podcast, that have been going through some really tough struggles. Uh, some of it brought on by the coronavirus, maybe some of it uh, almost exacerbated by the, by the coronavirus. Um, this new book that you have, Hang On, Let Go, what, what is... What what are what are you tackling? I, I don't have a I don't have a copy of it. I I, I don't know if I'm worthy yeah. of it or not. But I um, I, I do <laughs> want to. <laughs> You're going through a trial. You are, sir. <laughs> yes. That yes. Was funny. So, worthy. <laughs> so hang on. Let go. Uh, can can you share a little bit with us about this book? Yeah, absolutely. You know, just so your listeners are aware, it's not specifically about the coronavirus. It's about any kind of crisis, any kind of trial, any kind of struggle that you as a Christian are enduring or that you've been thrown into. And it's a deep dive into the anatomy of a trial from God's perspective. And the book, it's really like a field guide to teach you how to survive your storm and how to thrive through it. And it goes into specifics on how to conduct yourself in a health crisis, a financial crisis, or a relational crisis. Those are the big three <laughs> that we face as Christians, and those usually always lead to a spiritual crisis. And um, in John 16, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble but suck it up. Uh, no, he didn't say that. <laughs> he said, take heart. That's my language. Suck it up. That's world. my language. That's the language of this audience. So yeah, you're talking our language, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He said, he said, take heart. Uh, I have overcome the world in me. You may have peace. And um, notice that the Lord said in this world, you will have trouble. Uh, Peter said, don't think it's strange when you're thrown into fiery trials because they're designed to test you, test your faith, and also grow your character. And I like to say those verses, you know, that talk about 
count it all joy when you go through fiery trials. <laughs> I say, put that in your gratitude list and smoke it. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not something we want to hear. But as God's people, we were destined for bitter trials. Trouble and hard times are part of the journey for the Christian. All of us are going to go through times where the sky is falling, our world is caving in, and we find ourselves in deep yogurt. But trials and tribulations are God's mechanism for demonstrating to us his power and for transforming us into version 2.0. And one of the things I've learned, well, I've learned many things about a trial. Um, Eugene and I talk about all of it in the book, the discoveries I've made, but God is the great teacher in the universe. And he never fails his students. <laughs> I used to be a teacher in high school many, many years ago, and uh, I would have to fail my students. But God never fails his students. What he does is he just makes us take the test over and over and over again Ouch. until we end up passing. Yes. Ouch. And, I'm, um, I'm a, I'm a so, slow learner. So yeah, I, this, <laughs> yeah. So the, the book is full of insights on how to how to endure the trial, how to see it, how to how to perceive it. Uh, how to make sense of it, and then uh, how to thrive through it, you know, which is really the goal here. I, I love that. I love that you were honest about the the quote in James of counted all joy when you face these trials and tribulations, because that is in my I mean, if I were to look at that just in its it's, you know, without the biblical context with without being spiritual, when I read it, I would say that's the worst advice I've ever heard in my life, <laughs> but I, 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 I love what you're saying that, yeah, it, Jesus is the ultimate teacher. Uh, I mean, I spend most, I, I, I've lived in China for the last 20 years and I spend a lot of my time together with the persecuted church. I was just two weeks ago together with our uh, Chinese missionaries that have been serving in Iraq and Lebanon and, and Syria and Jordan and brought them together. And the way that they talked about their trials and tribulations with not despair, but but hope, and the way that they they shared about you know this this is a part of the process. This is what the Bible has promised, and we know that we're on the right trail. Uh, really humbled me because I mean I get upset if I can't find the remote control. I get I I, I freak out you know if I feel that somebody's misplaced my keys. Um, so I, I, I feel like I'm challenged by the smallest of, of problems. Uh, do, when, when you're writing this book, especially for the Western audience, uh, do you feel that um, the audience in the West, that, that uh, the trials uh, that we face on a regular basis are similar to the first century church, less so, um, or are they on a different plane, but because all trials are equal in some way? I mean, I don't know if I'm making any sense with this, but for a Western audience, from a from the writings of the first century church, um, are you seeing any difference? How how do you bridge that gap? I guess uh, with with the audience that's reading your book compared to the trials of the first century church. Well, you know, my book really is uh, pinpointing a trial of any sort where you feel like the sky has fallen and your life is falling apart. So that could be, you know, you have a loved one in a coma 
or you have uh, a child who's hooked on drugs or maybe has run away from home and you can't contact them. Or maybe it's a, a person whose husband has said, hey, look, uh, I need space. I want to separate. Or, uh, or a wife who says, you know, um, I'm in love with another man. <laughs> uh, or it, it could be, you know, a fiance who has said, uh, I'm ending the relationship and you've been invested for five years. And now your whole world is collapsed, or maybe it's a health crisis. You know, either you have been given a, a devastating diagnosis or a loved one has been told that, you know, you've got stage four cancer or whatever, or you've, you've gone bankrupt uh, or you've lost your job that you've had for many years. And, and now you're really having a struggle finding employment and, and meeting uh, the needs of your family. So in that sense, Eugene, you know, uh, as Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. That's common. Those kind of things are common to everyone. The, the ones I mentioned, and there's so many more. It, when it comes to persecution, though, for being a Christian, in the West, it's pretty easy. The only uh, real bad form of persecution we get here, uh, leaders especially, is, is it's not the sword like they faced in the first century and in other countries. It's the keyboard, meaning that the keyboard has been weaponized in the hands of uh, many people who uh, hate other uh, believers. And usually it's coming from uh, professing Christians, Eugene. It's not coming from the world. In the world, uh, in my experience, the world uh, in the West is pretty much, they just shrug their shoulders and, and move on when it comes to uh, facing a Christian who really is following Jesus. The attacks mostly come from religious people, uh, fellow Christians. And um, so every leader who's really making an impact uh, on the kingdom of God has been the subject of slander, uh, the worst kinds of false accusations. I, I don't know any. I mean, you mentioned George Barnum. <laughs> He's one, he, got, he got pummeled uh, by other Christians when uh, we released the book Pagan Christianity in 2008. Uh, it affected him severely. Um, in many, many ways. That's just one example. Um, but no, it, you know, every person listening to this, let me just say this to every listener, Eugene, I'll say it to you too. Uh, you are either headed for a trial, a really severe one, beyond, you know, not being able to find the remote or losing your keys. Those are the kind of the, the everyday frustrations that we face as humans. But I'm talking about where the sky's falling in. You're either headed into one, you're in one right now, all right, and you're really struggling and you're really hurting, or you just came out of one, okay? <laughs> There's no exemption, all right? Storms are part of life, and they're part of the Christian life. And, uh, and one of the things that I like to talk about, uh, I would like to talk about at some point, is um, I guess really what would be a benefit is, is maybe the difference between being a victim and a student. Uh, and also some of the temptations that uh, every Christian will face while they're in a storm. So, you know, at some point I'd love to discuss that. Well, I mean, I think that that is pretty relevant right now. Uh, there, I mean, many of us, I, I think that's a great way to put it. I mean, whenever I have 
face trials uh, in, 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 and even in my, my little trials, I'm not finding my, my keys or my wallet. I'm often the victim. I make myself the victim. Who took, who took my keys? Uh, but I, I mean, you are talking about some very serious trials that people are going through. I mean, you just yeah. mentioned a few, uh, whether it be, you know, someone coming, you know, discovering that they have cancer or finding out the person that they love and they've invested in most of their life now is in love with someone else. Or, uh, I mean, you you named a, a smorgasbord of challenges that we all face on a regular basis. Um, what can you dive a little bit deeper into that for us? Like what, what makes us victims or students? What, what, what can we do to become students and not victims? How do we know if we're victims and Mm -hmm. and not students or students and not victims? Yes, no, that's great. Well, it's a key insight to understand the difference. And one of the things that I do in the book is try to give, uh, the reader perspective on what's really happening in their trial and what God is aiming at, because he's always aiming at some specific things through our trial. But if we don't understand that perpetual victimhood, which is very, very common in the West, will doom us to a life of self-centered misery, then basically we're going to waste our crisis. All right. And, and this is one of the great, um, uh, ditches that lies in front of us when we go through a storm, and that is we have the ability to waste a crisis. God is looking to do something in us and in others through our storm, through our crisis, through our trial, and we can waste that. So here's the, here are the differences between a victim and a student. Uh, a victim learns nothing from his or her trials. So they're basically a waste. Mm. A student, however not only learns from the trial, but after it is passed, they actually can thank God for it. It, makes, it. it may take a while for them to thank God for it, but they can look back and say, you know what, even though that I was walking through the northeast corner of hell during those days, I can now thank God for it. That's a student. A victim believes that bitter trials are a sign that God is punishing him. A student understands that God allows trials to grow us and demonstrate his power. A victim perpetually complains. A student is too busy making the best of the situation to complain. A victim pities himself. He's, uh, he has pity parties. You know, he feels sorry for himself. But a student focuses on helping other people even during his trial so he has no time to feel sorry for himself. A victim begs God to remove the trouble so he can be happy. A student understands that his contentment and well-being is found in the Lord, not in a trouble-free life. A victim asks, why me? A student says, what can I learn from this? A victim blames other people. A student says, how much of this did I bring on myself? A victim cries out that life's not fair. A student says, what's happened, what's happening to me has happened to others and is happening to others. I'm not unique. And a victim blames God while a student understands that God is sovereign and intends to use all of our trials, tribulations, and troubles for our benefit 
and for his glory. Romans 8.28 has not been removed from the Bible. <laughs> he can and he intends to work that horrible, hellish thing to his glory and for our good. But there's certain things we have to know in order for that to happen. And that's why I wrote, hang on, let go of the book. I have, I mean, I don't know, maybe this, this gets even better, but right now that's going to be a nugget that I take away from this podcast, this idea of wasting our crisis. I don't think I've ever really heard that phrase in a positive or I guess in a, in a teaching like you just shared. Um, usually when I hear about, you know, wasting a crisis, it's, it's kind of in a political sense, right? Never let a good crisis mm -hmm. go to waste. Um, and and right. it's used as a derogatory term, you know, that somebody is is trying to take advantage of a bad situation uh, for political gain. And what you just did was kind of re redefine that phrase for me, uh, especially as a Christian going through trials that um, as you know, I, I think that there are probably lots of crises that I've been through that I have wasted, that I have not been a student, but more of a, of a victim. Has there been, has, has there been a, a trial in your life that led you to write this book? I mean, what, what was the impetus? What was the motivation for you to write this? Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a great question. You know, I came to the point where I was looking at a lot of my friends over the last three years, really, um, it seemed like every conference I held, people were just going through hell. I mean, either health crisis, either financial trials or relational problems, just really, really bad, bad stuff. And it, it just seemed to be like cyclical. And then I went through uh, something of my own, um, you know, and, and then I, that provoked me, Eugene, to look back on all of the trials I've had. I mean, I've had health trials, I've had financial trials, I've had relational trials. And, and I, it caused me to just reflect back and really be a student of, of my friends, what they were learning through their trials, of my own trials, what God was teaching me through one particular trial I was going through. Um, I started reading all about you know, that particular issue, you know, and, and in that sense, it, it was a health related thing. And so I, it was so dark and it was so difficult for me. Um, now the Lord turned it around, thank God, but I learned the principle of hanging on and letting go. And, and, and I don't want to kind of give the store away on that because that's really what the book is, but the way to get through your trial the way to survive it and the way to thrive in it and to accomplish what God is intending to accomplish in your life so you don't waste the crisis, all right, is to learn how to hang on on the one hand and let go on the other. That was the big lesson. And so that can be broken up into many, many different things. But here's one tip I want to give to everybody listening to this. If you're going through a trial right now or you're about to, um, and sometimes these things just blindside us, Eugene. You know, they come out of nowhere, right? It's like being struck with lightning. You didn't expect it. Uh, it's like the storm that the disciples were in, uh, in the Gospels that said, and suddenly <laughs> a great storm <laughs> hit their boat, you know, and next thing they know, they think they're going to die. Um, but here's, here's one, and there's so many principles, and we can talk at length about so much. Um, but here's one thing I want to say. 
when you're going through the worst trials of your life, that is when God is most silent. Mm. But, but he speaks loudly. Now, how does he speak loudly? When you're going for trial, if you would put your nose into the scriptures like you never have before, and you start reading very carefully and with an open heart to God out of desperation, saying, Lord, open your word to me, you will see things in the scriptures that you've never seen before. He speaks loudly through his word, even though he's silent, all right? And, uh, and, and, and my book is so packed with scripture dealing with trials of all kinds that I think that in itself is, the worth, is worth the price of admission. It's just packed full of scriptures dealing with trials that we go through. The second way he speaks loudly, Eugene, is through other people. God will speak to us through other people, members of the body of Christ mostly, but even unbelievers, and they won't even realize that God is speaking to us through them. That's the uncanny thing. The key there, though, is to pay attention. Pay attention. Because when you're going through a trial, a lot of the bushes are burning. You just have to pay attention to see them. The third way God speaks loudly, and this is one of the things I discovered over the last several years, is through coincidence. You know, for the Christian, there's no such thing as coincidence. One person said God, coincidence is God's way of being anonymous. If you pay attention, right, and you, you don't, <laughs> you don't uh, walk through life oblivious, you will see coincidence after con- coincidence pile up. In the book of Job, it says God speaks once. No, he speaks twice. Coincidence has his fingerprints on them, and he will speak to you through coincidence quite loudly if you pay attention through your crisis. And the fourth way he speaks loudly, Eugene, is through dates. Dates, okay? By that, I mean, I'm going to give one example. All right, today is June 30th, okay? June 30th. Now, it's no accident that this is June 30th, and I don't know how this happened. I think you gave us the date or something. I just realized this this morning. I told my wife it's June 30th. Well, June 30th, some years back, marked the first day of the worst storm I ever lived through. It was June 30th. And here we're talking about this book and trials on June 30th. That's no accident, all right? Uh, it it kind of reminds me, I'll just throw this in here real quick and then I'll, I'll let you share here. I've been speaking a long time. You know, when Peter denied Jesus, the book of John tells us that he was at a fire with coals on it, warming his hands, okay? And then when Jesus is resurrected, Okay, and Jesus is um, on the shore, and Peter's out there in a boat. We learn that Jesus is uh, cooking fish on a charcoal fire. Now, the Greek word for charcoal fire is only used twice in the Bible, only twice. It's used when Peter denied Jesus. He's warming his hands at the charcoal fire, and when Jesus in his resurrected state is cooking fish in a charcoal fire and he calls Peter to him. Well, there's a message there. God doesn't speak once, he speaks twice. The message was, Peter, I'm reminding you of your great failure. Remember the last time you smelled the charcoal fire? Well, you failed me. You denied me. It was your greatest failure that you ever lived through. Well, guess what? Here, 
I'm making fish on a charcoal fire. I want you to smell it. I want you to see the fire because now I'm going to recommission you for the apostolic ministry. Peter, feed my sheep. And so the scent of failure has now become the smell of restoration. Mm. And God used that twice as a reminder. And that's what he does with coincidences. And that's what he does with dates. He speaks loudly through those things when you're going through the worst storm. You know this what what you have what you have just shared. This is really powerful. Uh, and, and again, it's I don't believe it's a coincidence. I mean, one of the things that I really love to do is is try to do a regular reading. I won't say daily reading because it's not daily, but it is a regular reading of one of my favorite authors, a guy by the name of F. W. Borum. And one of the one of the uh, essays that I'm reading at the moment uh, is called "The Whisper of God." And when you were talking about, you know, God speaking through His Scripture, God speaking through dates, God speaking through friends, even even if they don't know that it's that it, that God is using them, reminds me of that the 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 quote of F. W. Borum saying that God, with all of His omnipotence. At his disposal, never wastes anything. He never sends a flood if a shower will do. He never sends a fortune if a shilling will do. He never sends an army if a man will do. He never sends thunders if a whisper will do. That that whole idea of God speaking into our lives during times of our of uh, of our trial, even when we believe that He is silent, I. I, I think that what you just shared is extremely powerful because there are times that uh, we feel that God is silent and, um, and and it really can mess with us when we already feel, you know, during our times of trials, at least for me, when, when I'm going through a financial problem or an emotional problem or a health problem, I can already feel isolated and alone and and and, and away from you know uh, anybody's understanding, and then that's the time I really want to hear from God the most. So if you feel that He's silent, that can add a, an even larger challenge yeah. to your to your mental, spiritual, emotional health. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's part of it's part of the the trial itself, that God seems distant. You know, remember, when the disciples were in the first storm that's recorded in the Gospels, Jesus was asleep in the boat, you know? And they had to wake him up. And that's exactly what we feel like when we're going through the worst storms of life. But we forget he is in the boat. So <laughs> the boat's not going to sink with Jesus in it, but he is asleep. <laughs> and that's exactly what we experience in a trial. The second trial... Uh, excuse me, the second storm that the disciples were in, recorded by the Gospels, Jesus wasn't anywhere to be seen. And uh, they were out in the boat by themselves. He was off somewhere retreating. And he waited hours and hours and hours for them to uh, uh, move into the fourth watch, the darkest, pitchest, uh, the darkest, blackest time of the day. They were all by themselves. They were out there in the storm for a long time, and then finally he shows up, and he's walking on the water. And and, and there's so much there uh, that I get into, but, you know, he made the very cause of their fear and panic, he turned it into a sidewalk, and he was walking on the very thing they were afraid of. And it's interesting, too, because when they looked and they saw him, they thought he was a ghost. 
And I never really understood that, Eugene. Like, well, okay, what are they, superstitious people? Well, not really, because the Mariners at that time believed that just before you died, you would behold a ghost. So they believed that they were looking death straight in the face. And then when he said, be not afraid, it is I, Mm. that changed everything. And that's Mm. what he says to you and me in the trial. Be not afraid, it is I. I'm behind this thing, all right? Meaning, I know what's going on. It didn't catch me off guard. I may seem to be on the other side of the shore. You may not be able to see me right now, or I'm asleep in the boat, but I'm here. I know what's going on. Mm. And I'm going to use this for my glory and for your benefit if you just hang on to me. But there's certain things we have to let go of. <laughs> and that's the, again, that, that brings us to the title of the book. Hang on, let go. Hang on, let go. That's I, that's such a great illustration. Um, I've actually never thought of that, those two times of the disciples being in the storm and comparing those two together. Um, I, I know that we have taken more of your time than we had agreed in, in the beginning. And so I'm, I'm very, very thankful that you have stayed on and shared with us so much. Um, one last thing I would love to ask, you know, there's a lot of people, including myself, listening to this, uh, hear, uh, hearing about this book. And then I'm wondering, you know, you're a speaker, an author, a mentor, um, do you share any of the raw uh, situations where you found yourself being more of a victim than a student? Or, or are you always a good student? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, try, I think I've repressed all the times that I've been a victim. Eugene, so those don't even register in the memory. Uh, no, I've certainly, especially when the, when, the trial, when the trial starts, I think there's a point in time where, yeah, I, be, I become a professional victim. Uh, particularly in the sense of um, not so much the blame game, but the um, the pity parties, you know what I mean? Yes. And I think if you're really going through something really, really bad, it's okay to take a little bit of time, maybe a day or two, to just have your own little pity party, but then you got to get yourself up and you have to walk forward, you know? And I do, I do describe in general some of the stuff I've been through, but not detailed, because most, there's two reasons for that. First of all, you know, when it comes to health crisis, those are kind of personal things, especially when they deal with other people, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so there's, there's privacy breaches there. But the second thing is, uh, Eugene, you know, if I talk about, let's say I had a, a child that was in a coma, right, uh, for two years and then they came out of it. Now, that didn't happen. I'm just using the illustration. Well, everybody who hasn't had a child in a coma can't really relate So what I try to do is I try to address the principles that will actually um, benefit every person going through any kind of trial. They can go ahead and apply it to their own specific trial. And I do give Mm -hmm. illustrations of certain trials that that people go through, you know, Mm -hmm. and hoping that somebody will look and go, oh, boom, that's me. That's what I'm going through right now. Um, Now, we also have, Eugene, we also have a course that goes with it the um the book it's called hang on let go um dot com is the name of the the website that people can go to they can get the book there but there's also a course called surviving your storm and if you really are catching it right now or you know someone who is 
I'd not only recommend the book, but sometimes we need something a little extra, maybe the human voice to kind of encourage us through. I have a partner who um, has been through a lot himself and has learned as well. And so we talk about how you can navigate your storm in that course. So that's something that some people may may be interested in. But I, I hope God's people will get this book, Hang On, Let Go, will read it and will benefit it. I never dreamed that that this book would be manifested. It was the kind of thing I was, most of it's come out of my own journals. You know what I mean? Things that I was writing to myself. And, uh, and then it, it came that the publisher was interested and I said, all right, well, let me turn this around and write to God's people. And uh, so that was really the origin of, of, uh, of how the book came about. Just everything I've learned through everything I've been through uh, in my life. I, I mean, I can't wait for the release. We will. This podcast will come out in August. So those of you that are listening to this podcast will be able to purchase this book in August. Hang on, let go by Frank Viola. Uh, you had given some websites. Uh, if you could just reiterate those again, like if somebody wants to buy this book, hang on, let go, or purchase the course, Surviving Your Storm, uh, what's the best website that they can go to for that? Yes. Uh, the key website is hangonletgo.com, just one word, hangonletgo.com. And then also they can go to my uh, blog, frankviola.org, frankviola.org, and they can get my blog articles, all the books in the catalog, podcast episodes, free ebooks. There's just a whole lot of stuff on that website. Uh, it's kind of home base for all of my work. And, you know, I just want to encourage God's people. Uh, challenge God's people, uh, bless God's people, uh, and just give them uh, such a view of the Lord Jesus Christ that they're just blown away um, in their heart and their mind. That's really my goal. Uh, I, I just I think the most incredible person who's ever lived is Christ, and there's so much to Him that we can never exhaust Him. And so I'm always wanting to learn more about Him, who He is, how to know Him deeper. Uh, and better, and, and that's what I try to pass on to others. What I've learned, I give to other people for their benefit. Love it. Uh, the book, again, is Hang On, Let Go. Uh, you can find that on hangonletgo.com, or if you just love what Frank has shared with us during this time, you can find out more information and other things that he has written as well on frankviola.org. Frank, so, thank you so, so much for joining us on this Back to Jerusalem podcast. It's been a real joy. Can't wait to read the book. Thank you as well. It's been a privilege. God bless you. You too. And I want to thank you for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of America. God bless you.